So please turn to the book of Luke and chapter 9. Firstly, I want to say a word of thanks for your attention and your attendance over this series in January and uh, perhaps a special word of thanks to Andrew and to Steve for their technical help. There will be some notes of today's message and then some copies of Studies 1 and 2 on the table where the name tags are after the service. Now in our studies to do with discipleship, taken from Luke chapters 8, 9 and 10. In chapter 9 we learned that the way of discipleship can be difficult and it can also be demanding. Now this morning we move into chapter 10 or the first half of chapter 10 and you will see in your Bibles that the paragraph heading for this section is Jesus sends out the 72. Now Luke has referred to Jesus sending people, we'll just catch up to the next one Steve. Jesus has referred to sending people on other occasions in his book and in chapter 8 after the demon possessed man had been healed, Jesus sent him back to his own people to tell them how God had delivered him. And then at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus called the 12 disciples together and he sent them out to preach as well. Now last week, as Jesus began his journey to Jerusalem, he sent messengers on ahead to prepare things in that Samaritan village and here in chapter 10 verse 1 Jesus sends out 72 more disciples. Jesus likes sending people out. Actually he was giving them a practical lesson in how the kingdom of God is to spread by disciples going out ahead to prepare the way for his coming. Now that continues to be the main task of disciples today. The truth is that Jesus is coming. He is coming again to bring the kingdom of God to its magnificent conclusion and disciples are to prepare the way. Liz is going to the Philippines. We might have to go across the street but we must never lose sight of this purpose of discipleship. Well now the sending out of these 72 disciples, verses 1 to 11 of chapter 10. And of the four gospel writers, Luke is the only one to mention this particular story. We're going to look first at verses 1 to 3. After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place 
where he was about to go. It's interesting to notice that it's the Lord who appoints these ones. We've seen previously that he is the Lord of storms and of sickness and of demons and Lord over death but he is also the Lord of those who follow him who are his disciples. Now verse 2, he told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. We often associate these verses with missionary service. Yet the words apply to all who will follow Jesus, not only those whom we might think of as special people. Now in this verse the Lord Jesus used a very common illustration, an extensive harvest. However, there were only a few workers. What could be done about this shortage? Well, now the remedy is to ask the Lord of the harvest to send more. And Jesus is about to send out 72 more to help with the work. Now, the word ask in that verse is translated pray earnestly in some translations, and has a sense of urgency and persistence about it. Now that's actually an encouragement for those of us who may be older disciples. We may not be any longer able to go to work in the harvest field. Ah, but there is a continuing work here to keep on asking the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest field. Now when Matthew and Mark record the calling of the first disciples they use Jesus' words Come, follow me. Matthew 4 and Mark chapter 1. Now we think of these words as the call to discipleship but now Jesus says to these 72 in verse 3 of chapter 10 Go, I'm sending you. These words remind us that uh, after his resurrection Jesus said now go into the whole world. Discipleship involves first coming to Jesus and then going for Jesus. In a sense going is the second half of discipleship. Now there's an aspect of this going command here that that might surprise us a bit. The 72 are sent out like lambs among wolves. Now this new farming image is not an attractive one. It implies danger, um, carnage, chaos. Jesus has already indicated that discipleship is demanding, difficult, Now he's telling us it's dangerous. Well, why would anyone want to be a follower of Jesus if this is the likely outcome? Now the key to the whole thing 
is who we understand Jesus to be and also an understanding of the kingdom of God. Now in chapters 8, 9 and 10 there are nine references to the kingdom of God. There's something about this man, this son of man and the kingdom he teaches about, the kingdom of God that is compelling and people are willing to accept difficulties, demands and dangers in order to serve him. We move on to verses 4 and 7, 4 to 7. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Now stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now in this section the disciples get their initial instructions. First there's packing for the journey and then instructions about what to do when they enter a house where they will stay. In summary, there's to be no excess baggage and no time wasted in idle chatter and needless coffees. There's to be no grumbling about meals or moving from house to house looking for some better accommodation. Jesus is making the point that sent ones must not get sidetracked by secondary issues. They must not lose sight of the primary target, preparing for Jesus' coming. Reading on in the chapter, verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, The kingdom of God is near. Now these verses focus on what they are to do when they enter a town. First, where they're welcomed and then when they're not welcomed. See, that sort of situation arises for disciples. When welcomed, they were to again be satisfied with the meals that were prepared for them. They were also told what to do. Heal the sick. And tell about the kingdom of God that was near them, within their grasp. They could actually become members of it. But when not welcomed, they were to publicly censure that town using a known response, wiping the dust off their shoes or off their feet. But it's interesting to note that in towns where they were welcomed and in the places where they were not welcomed, they still had to tell the people about the kingdom of God. 
a kingdom which for those people was near them. You see, somehow everyone has to face up to the kingdom of God and its implications. Now what can we say about these brief but interesting introductions? The early picture of the harvest and the limited workers sets the scene. You see there was a harvest and it was ready to be cut and to be stored but time was critical. The task demanded attention and action. Now the 72 disciples were new workers entering the harvest field of their Lord. They were not going on a holiday but they were being personally sent on an urgent mission. The task required that they take minimum baggage, that they were grateful for provisions that would be provided for them and that they were satisfied with whatever accommodation was available. You see, their goal was to gather the harvest while there was still time. Now this whole harvest idea is associated with the kingdom of God. That is God's plan for the world and its people. It's exciting in many ways. But what about that disturbing picture of the lambs among the wolves? Now in chapter 9 Jesus indicated that following him would be difficult and demanding and now that's taken a step further in chapter 10 even to the point of implying danger. You see there are people about who don't care about the harvest, not interested in the kingdom and they don't welcome the messengers who are sent to them. The reality in that time was that many people ignored God's kingdom. Others actively opposed it. A few even killed some of the messengers. As church history has consistently recorded, more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than in any other. It's the same today. There are still wolves. So are these sent ones sad casualties of a good cause? We read on. We jump down to verse 16. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me, says Jesus, rejects him who sent me. Now we've been thinking mainly about the messengers, the sent ones, the disciples. But here the focus comes on those to whom they are sent. Their response is very significant. To welcome the messenger is to welcome the Lord and to reject the messenger is to reject the Lord Jesus. But anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus rejects God. 
The person who deliberately turns their back on God is in great danger. We must always be careful about how we respond to God. Well, what happened? Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So verse 17 takes us back now to the messengers. They returned from their assignment and they were overjoyed. It had been a wonderful time. What impressed them most was the power they had over the demons. Now think back to chapter 8. Remember that demon-possessed man? Nobody had been able to control that poor man. But when Jesus came, he did not control the man with the demons. He delivered the man from the demons. Now these sent disciples had been able to do the same thing. What an experience. Next one, Steve. Ah, but there's a lesson to be learned here. You see, there's another kind of danger. Yes, there are the wolves, but there are other dangers. Not open hostility in this case, but a subtle tendency for human pride to intervene. In verse 19, it was Jesus who gave the disciples authority. Authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. It was not for those sent ones to boast about their achievements. No, they were to be obedient and faithful and thankful that they belonged to Jesus. So the disciples are really insignificant in this story. What they are is more important than what they do. Obedience matters more than busyness. Pride in their achievements could be very dangerous. The true source of their joy was not what they did but that their names were written in God's book. And how would that happen? It would be through what Jesus would do for them and what Jesus has done for those of us who live subsequently. This was a way of indicating that they were personally 
members of God's kingdom. What do we make of all of this? Lucas thoughtfully progressed from Jesus' miracles that showed that Jesus was Lord over storms and demons and sickness and death. He went on to show how he taught his disciples to extend the kingdom of God by sending them out to prepare for his coming. To be a disciple is difficult, demanding and dangerous. For many Christians in our troubled world, discipleship today is physically dangerous, a distressing reality. We should pray consistently for those who suffer in such places as Syria, Egypt, Iraq, Sudan, India, Sri Lanka, Burma, Afghanistan and so on. But we should also pray for one another. And the subtle yet equally damaging pressures that we face in our world. How easily we become distracted by our materialistic and self-centred culture. How big a house do we really need to accommodate us? What food do we really need to sustain us? How much time do we waste needlessly? The danger of secondary things. And Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth, but rather treasures in heaven. Like the 72, we find it hard to learn to be satisfied and thankful. How easily we lose sight of the main task, preparing for Jesus' coming. Jesus has been given authority, power and an unending kingdom and he empowers his disciples to continue the work that Jesus began in the troubled times of his day so that the kingdom of God continues to grow in the troubled times of our day. The kingdom of God is the company of people who trust and obey him, who enjoy the benefits of his reign in their lives now and who look forward to Jesus' return when the kingdom will be completed. They're the ones whose names are in the heavenly book. But there's a bigger picture here. Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem where he would die and rise again. But here's the bigger picture. Disciples then and now 
are on the road not to Jerusalem but to the heavenly city and they will die and rise again. Rise at the resurrection with new bodies for a new life in a new place with Jesus. When the kingdom of God is completed, the full wonder of God's gift of eternal life will become reality for all true disciples. But look, where am I in these chapters? Am I interested in the stories of Jesus' miracles? Or maybe I'm rejecting him even despite the miracles like those Samaritans did. Or maybe I need to sort out some self-centred issues like those three men on the road. Or perhaps I'm ready to be sent out in service of God's kingdom like these 72. But the starting point is my name written in that book. In following Jesus and preparing for his coming, we'll still find it's difficult and demanding and there are dangers. But I've kept from you one vital fact. There is a description that uses another D that transforms the picture. Above all else, discipleship is a delightful relationship with Jesus. You see, he is the Lord. He is the king of the kingdom. He's the one who brings us into God's family through his death. He's the one who transforms our lives by his risen life. And he's the one who sends us on the most important mission in the world. He's the one who has prepared our true home in heaven. So at the start of a new year, from these three chapters in Luke, Lessons about discipleship. I suggest we take a moment to quietly meditate. Just bow your heads for a moment. Think carefully. Is, is your name in that book? That's where it starts. Do you really understand him to be your Lord? Are you obeying him? Perhaps the real thing is, do you love him? So just in this quiet time, Will you respond to him this morning? Perhaps you say, Lord, Lord, I do want to be a disciple.
I don't understand all the details but I want my name in that book. Lord, I realise I've been following you in a way but I've been determining what the conditions might be. I will follow you but... Lord, deep down, despite things I say, sometimes things I do, my heart tells me I love you. Friends, could we set our priorities at the beginning of this new year? And may number one be to be a disciple of the King. You'll see on the screen now some words that will be familiar to many of you. I wonder if this is our corporate, our united response. We'll sit for this verse and for the next. And then when we come to the third verse, I think we ought to stand up because we need to go places. Ready to go. Jesus is coming. Now if you would like to speak to us about some matter, follow up some point that's not clear, feel free to speak to me or to Garth or to one of the elders you may know after the service. Let us close in prayer. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. And the Lord turn his face towards us and give us his peace. Amen.